Episode 116 of the Bevan James Isle Show. Allowing yourself to trust yourself. Right, team, welcome along to episode 116 of the Bevan James I'll show your fortnightly podcast on the behaviors that create a lifetime love of fitness so that you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. I've got to say, today's going to be a slightly, well, not a different show, but I had a different show planned. I had an, an, I've got an interview lined up with um, an Olympic medalist, actually, Olympic gold medalist, an athlete who achieved a, a lot in his career. And, um, uh, I was meant to interview him, but unfortunately he had to postpone, so I had to kind of put the interview off. So I hadn't really planned to do a Bevan show this, t- this time, but I'm, I've had a few thoughts in my head that, that I'm going to share with you. So today's show is very much just going to be some thoughts in my head that I've been thinking a lot about lately, um, and hopefully there's some value in that for you. Uh, the interview I will do will be on the next interview, on the next show, um, and the thing I love about this athlete, so... You know, like there's a lot of athletes out there and they have different philosophies and stuff. But this athlete, I actually was talking to them about a month ago when I was in Germany, or probably two or three months ago now. And I was in Germany over doing some work and I was having a yarn to him. And the thing about him is he's very lucky because in his career he's made enough money, I think, to, to, to have a pretty stress-free life around finances at least and so with his time, I think he does a bit of public speaking, but with his time he really just wants to search kind of this pursuit of human excellence and the thing about him is his approach is is really different to what a lot of people have in that um you know like if we look at the self-help formula and and, you know a lot of what i talk about probably be categorized as the self-help formula he he's a bit different to that like he just loves reading like novels and he tells me he just will read novels for hours and hours a day and he thinks there's so much value in that kind of that self-reflection and the journeys you learn by reading novels. So um, we'll we'll dig deep into that when we get on the show because nowadays he actually spends a lot of time also going around and with other athletes who are still competing and just learning about their philosophies. And um, so I really look forward to getting on the show because I think he's going to be someone who's going to add a bit of value to what we do. You know, it's probably very much aligned with what I kind of try to promote in this show here. So it's kind of cool. So today's show is going to be a little bit... Very much just kind of some key thoughts I've been having. And there's one thought in particular, which um, I may share a story that I've started writing. Um, uh, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pause right now. I'm not going to pause, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk too long before I get into the main gist of the show because it's going to be main gist. So what I want to talk about before I do that is the patrons of the show. And if you want to become a patron of the show, go to bevanjamesisles.com and it's all very clear on the website. You see the Patreon link. You click on that and you just give a little bit of money towards the show each time I release the show. And I'm just going to name a few of the patrons. And they include Kate Southern, and she's the perfect one. We've got Robbie Big Shop Allen. Uh, we've got Gemma and Mitch the Teen Divine. They're just about finished building the house. And we've got Libby All in Hilda. She's about to do a pretty awesome challenge herself in a physical challenge. Uh, we've got Rebecca Bullseye Spears. And we've got Bernadette Soul Calibur Parry. Guys, if you want to become a patron of the show, you go to bevanjamesisles.com. And you're just supporting me and what I do here and what I'm trying to put out to the world. So there we go. Anyway, I'm going to get into the main gist of the show right now. Here it is. Let's check it out.
I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of address two, address, I'm going to talk about two areas in today's main part of the show, and um, one of them's a little bit shorter, and one of them's a little bit deeper, and I may go down a path I'm thinking about, I may not, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, as I said before, you know, I was meant to do an interview today, so today's show is very much a bit more off the cuff, but um, maybe some stuff in there for you. So the first thing I want to talk about is um, the value there's got to be a little bit of crossover but it's leading towards a point that I want to make at the end and the first thing I want to talk about is you know one thing I've learned in my life as I've evolved is the importance of tools in my life and actually I've read a really good book recently which I highly recommend called The Tools Um, and it's by the psychologist who um, basically was frustrated by the fact that they didn't really ever help people create change and so throughout his career he developed these tools which actually had a massive effect on people's lives and um, I read that book, I heard an interview with him and I read it and I've really enjoyed it and I've the tools in the book have been something I've been trying to practice every day of my life since reading it. So I have a morning process that I go through, It's you know, I read, it's like Bevan's book basically and then Bevan's book has about 25 pages most of it's pictures um, and words and some affirmations and stuff like that and it's just a reminder of who I am and what I want to be and some goals of my life right now and those types of things and uh, as a part of the process I've added the tools from this book as a part of that and what I'm trying to do is apply these tools in my day-to-day life um, to, to keep it at a higher level and I'm finding these tools are helping me discover that so it's really valuable and the reason I love not just the book, the tools, but my my morning process, my morning process of spending some time to reflect on the bigger picture of me, to reflect on what of today, you know, what, what I see in front of me today, and to make sure I get the most out of today. I, I find when I do that, I just tend to deliver. And I read a book a while ago about brain science, and in the book, I can't remember the name of the book, but the author was basically saying that when you look at really high-level people in any area, they they basically have the ability to see the future. And, you know, not not 20 years from now, what's going to be happening with politics and stuff like that, but almost like the next moment in the thing that they're doing, or maybe even a couple moments before. And to me, that's almost what my tools do in my life. Like my morning process... When I do my morning process well, I get to see the day in front of me before it happens. And I get to see the challenges and all those types of things. And so through that, I almost get to preload the choices I'm going to make. And and I've got to be honest, the, the more I do this and the clearer I do it, it doesn't really deviate from how I see things are going to happen. Like, generally speaking, most days are a fair representation of the way I interpreted it, it was going to be in the morning. And so the value of this for me is I definitely seem to be functioning at a higher level as a person because I use these tools. And, you know, for me, I'm very much someone that once I kind of discover something works, why would you not use it? You know, I'm, 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 in some ways I'm simple, but in a way that simplicity really works for me because I just do the things that work. You know, I, I'm not someone who necessarily, you know, you find a tool and I struggle to do it. You know, you, you often see people... Um, it's actually really interesting in the book, The Tools, they talk about how they got really frustrated because they would introduce the tools that they talk about in the book to their clients and the clients would use them and they'd be really effective. They'd really you know, change these people's lives. And then after a period of time, they'd stop using the tools and they were like, why would you stop using the tools? They're working really well. And so they developed a tool, uh, I think, called Jeopardy. And Jeopardy is this tool where 
you think about the version of yourself who's lying on your deathbed and they reflect upon you right now and what would they want you to do right now so that kind of what you know what what, what you know if you had a choice to make right now what would that version of you want you to make and it's just kind of a, it's one of those things it's about realigning what's really important it's a good tool to use for that and they had to develop this tool because so many people who that helped by using great tools pulled away from the tools in the long term now luckily for me because I'm a bit of a simple soul and once I kind of figure something works I figure why would you just not keep doing it consistency has never really been my problem I, I very much can just kind of once it clicks I'm going to stick with it and the real value of that is you you really get to evolve these things and I, and I had an interesting experience over the last few days around this and it's made me discover something that I I want to sit more in in regards to myself with this stuff so I've had a really busy time over the last period of time I've, I've been overseas I went over to seas and I went to Amsterdam um, and had a massive career highlight and a career moment in my life around teaching body attack 100 which is a big thing with my Les Mills world it was, a, it was something I wanted to do well something I wanted to spend a lot of energy in and I wanted to go into that experience knowing I'd done all the work possible to have the best experience possible and do the best job possible and so that took a certain amount of energy and then did that, really happy with the experience, really happy with how I went, came home, you know, when you travel from one side of the world to the other, there's a fatigue that comes with it, and you very much have to land and get straight back into a full steam life, and then I then had to go up to Auckland, so I arrived home last Tuesday, and then had to go to Auckland on a Saturday and Sunday to train some new fitness instructors, and um, again, I, I value, I, I try to do good work, so I made sure I did my prep and all the rest of it, I didn't wing it, I always try to make sure I do good work, so um, Saturday and Sunday was pretty full on, because I was still kind of fatigued from doing my travel and doing the trip away, uh, but I also wanted to make sure I was doing good work. Now the other thing that's happening in my life right now is I'm training to do a half marathon, and I'm trying to qualify for the New York Marathon. Now in fairness, the qualifying time that I need to achieve to get to the New York Marathon is actually well within my reach. It's not a stretch goal by no means. I would really have to cock it up to not, you know, get injured or cock it up to not achieve the goal. So, um, you know, in many ways I could just accept, you know what, just get to the race and you know, do it, but I, I, when I sign up for goals, there's more of a purpose, you know, sure, the purpose of this is to get to have an amazing life experience with my wife when we go to New York, and she's going to do the marathon as well, and she's actually really qualified, but but more importantly, the reason I want to do this goal is I want to kind of experience a higher level of self, and so the program I designed for myself in, in trying to achieve this goal um, is one that's really demanding. It's it's a program that asks, you know, I, I only have to run four times a week because I, I, I try to not put too much running in because I do quite a bit of exercise with my other job. So I'm not someone who needs to do seven or eight runs a week. But I wanted to make sure that three of those runs were high quality runs. One run a week is just get out the door and just turn your feet over. And then three of the runs, one of them's your endurance run and has a lot of pace work in it. So the goal that you're trying to achieve with pace work in it. Um, and I'm trying to I'm trying to achieve a goal that's slightly challenging. So that pace work is challenging. Uh, then one of the other runs is an interval type session. So it's high intensity uh, with good recoveries, but you are definitely pushing the intensity. And then one of them's a faster pace session. So mid endurance run, doing some 10K work and some race pace work. So you are pushing the intensity. Now the thing about these runs is three of those four runs a week I wake up in the morning and there's a little bit of fear in me. 
I wake up and you know you're going to be challenged that day. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a really interesting process to have to have. I, I, li- I love having that in my day. I think it's really valuable in my life to have these, these kind of moments in your week where you're a bit scared. Where you're, you're kind of looking for the out, but deep down you know you know, you have to do it. You know, like I look at my life of exercise. I, I teach 10 classes a week of exercises, so I do a lot of exercise, but I'm very comfortable there. But when I think about my running goals right now, like this week, today, you know, I've got to do a, a hard 80-minute run. I've got to do a 5K time trial, which is one of the hardest things you can do with running. And then I've got another long endurance run on the weekend. So I've got three long runs in front of me. And I don't want to just turn up to the race and go, you know what, you've done enough to just achieve the goal, I want to. I want to do a good race. Now, last week, getting those runs in was really challenging because a, I came back from overseas. B, I was fatigued, and C, then I had a big workload on in front of me. And I'd done my all my runs. I managed to get all of them done. And by the time I got to, so I did a good run on Friday. I did an easy run during the week, and then on Saturday night I did an easy run. And then on Sunday I had to do a seventy-minute run with a. 15 minutes at 10k pace so that's 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 definitely un, very uncomfortable running and then 25 minutes at race pace and that would be what you consider uncomfortable running but the whole idea of the session is that the 10k work you do at the beginning of the session makes the race pace work hard so it's about really kind of pre-fatiguing your legs so then when you're doing race work it's you know because 25 minutes of race work really shouldn't be that hard. If you're doing a race, it's going to take you about an hour 20. Um, but that 10K work at the start really tires your legs, so that last bit's a little bit more challenging. Now, because I was away in Auckland and I was working and I was doing a full day work on Sunday, I had to get, you know, like I was starting work at 7, so I basically had to leave the hotel at 6.30 in the morning to start work at 7. So the only time in the day I could get the run done was to get up at 4.30 in the morning and do the run. Now, there were many barriers or hurdles that I had to overcome to do this. So the first was I needed a good night's sleep because I needed to make sure I got up early and you know got the run done. I also needed to make sure I had good energy for the day in front of me after the run. So I needed to make sure I got home from the run early enough so I could have some breakfast, have a shower and just kind of recharge for my day. But the second thing that was a, a big hurdle was that it was an intense run. So, you know, when we think of all the hurdles I had to overcome, well, one of them could be that, you know, just getting up at 4.30 in the morning to go for a run is, is a bit of a bit of a struggle, especially when, you know, you've come back from, a you know, one part of the world to the other part of the world trip that week and still really hadn't found your sleeping pattern um, when, you know, you've done a big day's work before. So, you know, I was potentially quite fatigued leading into getting up at 4.30 in the morning. Many times in those situations, I could have justified, you know what, just get up and go for the run. Do 70 minutes of the run like you're meant to do, but don't worry about doing the intervals. But the reason I signed up for this race and the reason I did this program is I'm trying to develop myself and grow. So I wanted to make sure that I was doing the intervals. So the good news was that I got up at 4.30, I was out the door ready to run at 4.40, started the run and I hit the objectives of the run. I actually had a really good run, stayed on my 10k pace the whole time, um, stayed on my race pace the whole time and felt very privileged to be running at that time in the morning around Auckland Waterfront, which is really one of the most beautiful runs you can do. It's a big city, but then you've got this kind of ocean next to you and some beautiful kind of nature, and especially in the dark, it's really quite special. So I had this amazing run, and then I came back, had, had, had my breakfast and got to work, had, had my day's work. Now, 
the, the interesting thing, the thing I discovered from this was that I didn't have the best night's sleep the night before. So, you know, on that Sunday night or the Saturday night and leading to Sunday morning where I'm going to do my 4.30 run, I didn't have the greatest night's sleep. And the reason I didn't have my greatest night's sleep was because I knew there was no real room for error. And what I mean by that is, if I didn't get up at 4.30, that run wasn't happening that day. I just did not have the time in the day to make it work. By the time I got my day's work done and flew back to Christchurch, I wasn't going to get home to about 8 o'clock that night. There's no way I was going to go for a run at 8 o'clock night and do that intensity. So there was there was only one opportunity for me to get that run done. And so throughout the night, I actually had an early night, I felt like about 9 o'clock, I was pretty tired, so I crashed. And throughout the night, I found I just didn't have the greatest night's sleep. And it was just fundamentally, i just wake up and I was just aware that, oh, at 4.30, you got to get up and do this hard run. And in some ways, there was a little bit of a negotiation that was happening within me. Um, so my night's sleep was distracted by the challenge that I had to face in the morning. Now, the good news is, once I got up in the morning, I went through my morning process, and I just did what needed to be done. And when I got home from the run, I realized that in some ways I'd made a mistake. And the mistake that I'd made was, I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust myself. And what I mean by that is, I really should have had a great night's sleep. Like, I really should have just been able to sleep the whole time through the night. And why is that? Well, when I look at the way I work as a person and the tools that I use that I talked about before, my morning tools, when I do those things, when I do my morning tools, the stuff that I plan to do happens. And one of the benefits of that should be is that you can trust yourself, that I can trust myself that I'm going to get up at 4.30 tomorrow morning and I'm going to do that run, and I'm going to do it at a level that's the intensity that I'm aiming for. But unfortunately for me that night, I didn't trust myself. And when I went to sleep, I basically didn't have the greatest night's sleep because of that lack of trust that I would do this. You know, those wake-up moments in the middle of the night were really about me just having a little bit of doubt. Me planting a seed of doubt in there. Now, in some ways, and luckily for me, I still got up and did the run, but in some ways, that could have almost worked against me. The, the lack of trust in myself could have made me more tired and the alarm could have gone off and you could have thought, oh, I didn't have a great night's sleep. You know what? Let's flag this run and I'll, and I'll do it tomorrow or, or, or I'll just miss this run this week. Now, luckily for me, because my tools worked really well, I got up, did the run, hit the objective. But that could have worked against me. And, and I think one lesson I'm really taking away from this experience in my life is that my tools work. My tools work. And one of the real benefits of that should be that when I trust that my tools work, I can trust that I don't have to doubt myself around it. I hope that makes sense what I said there. So like fundamentally, when I went to bed that night, I should have said to myself, Bev, you know you have the ability to get up at 4.30 and do the run. What you need to do before that is, is give yourself a few minutes just to go through your, your kind of your morning process and then that will happen. And then go to sleep and then just let sleep happen. And that would have, you know, that trust that I would again would have meant I had a better sleep and, you know, again, I got the run done so, you know, it worked anyway, but I wouldn't have had to go through that kind of 
distracted sleep, which potentially would have made me more tired. So I suppose my first point in today's show is that, you know, you know, if you listen to the show, you know I'm quite anal about my tools, and I'm a big believer in that everyone should have a set of tools that, that makes them function at a higher level more often, and those tools will vary depending on the person. And if I look at all the clients I work with, those who tend to get great success for the long term are the ones who find their tools and consistently sit in them. You know, like like what they're saying in the book, the tools. You know, you use tools like the Jeopardy to help you. Just you know, if I keep doing this every day and day out, I'm going to keep evolving. And really, the thing I want to, the first point I want to make today is if you if you know you have tools that work, well, first of all, be consistent with them. You know, don't come and go from them. Just sit in them. Know that consistency is going to deliver a much higher version of yourself. But the second thing is to allow yourself to own the benefit of it. Because that's what I didn't do on Sunday, Saturday night when I went to sleep. I didn't allow myself to go, you know what, Bev, you are a person who can trust that this will happen. And that's actually one of the benefits of me doing those tools, is that it it gives me evidence to prove that I can trust myself. So the lesson for me moving forward, the the benefit is that next time I have a moment where I know I'm going to have to face a scary run or something that I find challenging, is to go, no, trust yourself you know that you can pull this off. And I think that when when I can do that, there's a real value for me because then it means that I can just be more present in the things I'm doing before that moment. You know, often I talk about on the show about how, you know, things can own us. You know, it can often be negative people in our life or or disappointment in ourselves, but it also can be the fear of the, the next thing that's challenging for us that can really own us, can't us? You know, I've got to do a 5K run today and it just sits over my head all day. And that's because of the doubt and the fear But actually, that's kind of taking away from the moment that I'm in right now. And if we do want to live a more present-filled life, well, that we want to kind of eliminate that. And so by using great tools and building great trust in myself, I can go, you know, today I've got to do a 5K run, and I'm going to do it at 10 o'clock. And I can be a little bit scared, but I'm not going to let it consume me because I know that I have the tools and the ability to treat it the best way possible. So that's kind of my first key point of today is, first of all, what are your tools? Are you someone who's really good at consistently sitting in your tools? And when you are in that place, allow yourself to gain and own the benefits of them. Don't work against it. And my example was that I just didn't trust myself, even though evidence has showed me that if I stick to my tools, I can trust myself. So the lesson that I need to have is just next time, just trust yourself and then be present in the thing you need from the moment. That's point number one. The second area I want to talk about today is um, something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Uh, One thing I've been, you know, so that book, The Tools, that I was just telling you about before, one thing um, it's really made me realize is that I'm not spending enough time in my life being creative. Um, I love being creative. I really do. And and, um, it's, it's kind of, you know, when we think about how you prioritize your life, it's a thing that I say I want to do, but I don't tend to do a lot of. And, um, and as I think about that Jeopardy, that Jeopardy tool is really helping me because it's that the old version of me who's kind of on my deathbed. The, the thing, you know, if, if he looked at my life right now, it's kind of say, you're getting most right, but I wish you had been a bit more creative. You know, and for me, creative is music 
and it's a bit of writing, you know, there's the ways I like to be expressive in my life. And so one thing I've been aiming to do is to use that Jeopardy tool, that kind of the old version of me, is to capture moments which I may, may normally waste to be creative. And a good example is me is, is that I travel. I get to travel quite a lot. And often on a plane, I'll just kind of watch a movie or I'll just muck around or play iPhone games and stuff. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's, it's good to have downtime in your life. But you know, it's also an opportunity for me to be more creative. And so I've been using that Jeopardy tool, that old version of me, just to, in those moments where I see an opportunity to be creative, is to actually jump on that moment and a couple of weeks ago I was thinking about you know what can I be creative with and I decided to myself I want to do this concept of 10 stories of my life um, and, and maybe and it might be more than 10 but just kind of to sit down and write about defining moments in my life that maybe shifted me um, in, in big ways you know and I think most of us have these I'm, I'm sure as you're listening to this right now and you reflect back on your history, you probably have some real key moments, moments that shifted you. And, and sometimes for for bad reasons, sometimes for sad reasons, sometimes for positive reasons, um, and so on and so on. And for me, I wanted to kind of create these 10 stories and, um, and show all versions of myself. And so I kind of had this idea, and I thought, what a cool idea. And so... Then, you know, I've been traveling over the last few weeks, so I've had this opportunity to kind of do some creative writing. And I sat down and I thought, you know, on the plane, I used that Jeopardy tool, what, you know, what would the old Bev want me to use with this time? And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to write a story. And I started to think about the story I'm going to write. And, and I, I wrote, I've started, I haven't completed the story, but I'm going to read it to you guys. And I went, it's going somewhere. So I'm going to read it to you. And it hasn't quite been finished, which probably means I probably shouldn't read it to you. But I'll kind of get, I'll tell you at the end where I want it to go. So I'm going to give me a second, I'm going to pause and I'm going to come back with it. Okay, I'm back. Now, I haven't proofed this. It's very much first draft. So it's probably got some work that needs to be done on it. But um, I'm just going to share it with you. And and, yeah, and, and again, I haven't finished it. So yeah, I've already said that. Um, Here we go. The Chancery was a type of bar that a certain type of person would end up at 5am on a Sunday morning. There was always a look to these people. It was represented in their clothes. Their once shiny new digs had seen the dance floor way too many times and were now a sign of where their priorities lay. When others had had their fun and wisely moved on, these people were still chasing their thing. On this night, I was still on my search. I'd never seen the lady from Short Street in the real world. Normally our interactions consisted of me knocking on her door and slightly seeing her head as she opened the door just a few inches to complete our transaction. Can I have three? That'll be 60, was the extent of our relationship. Like me, she must have been chasing her thing that night because I bumped onto her, into her on the dance floor into the chancery. Seeing her triggered an opportunity into my he- in my head. Do you have any parts? I asked. I've got one on me right now, she replied. How much? Fifty. I'll take it. Like a hungry traveller arriving in a hotel room, I knew I was playing a premium to get my fix, but there was no decision to process this was happening. As always, our interaction was quick, and we both got what we needed. Within three metres of walking away from our exchange, I'd consumed my part. I hit the dance floor using the alcohol to fill the time when the real fun began. Just as I started to shift to a different place, Neil came up to me. Neil's weaknesses always required someone else, and tonight no one seemed to be taking up his obvious signs. He'd had enough. Bev, this place is dead. Do you want to call it a night? He asked in a tone which really suggested that this wasn't a question. 
Are you sure? I've just taken a bath and it's just kicking in, I replied. He thought for a second. Tell you what, let's leave here and go to the palladium. If it's pumping, we'll kick on. If not, we'll catch a cab. Deal? Deal. We walked down the dark, steep steps of the chancery and headed through the arcade that took you to the Palladium. This arcade had relics from my past all through it. There was the great Gerald's magic shop that J.R. George and I would still flick combs from when we were young. And there was the clothing store that determined the fashion of myself and my friends when we were 15. The shade of the lighting, or the lack of lighting, made everything look worn down. This lighting took me to a place... It shifted how I saw my past. Suddenly I heard my name being called out. Bevan. I turned around to see the last person I was expecting to see. Steph. Neil saw Steph and instantly knew he wanted to be away from whatever was going to happen next. Tell you what, Bev. I'm going to call tonight. You have a good one, he said. I thought to myself, nice work in backing a brother up, Neil. What are you doing out so late, I asked Steph. I've been out with Wiki. She told me it'd be good to let my hair out. Have you had a good night? She wasn't there for chit-chat, so my question was ignored. Do you want to go home with me, she asked. I don't think it's a good idea. Although my high was hitting 80%, I still knew this would be a bad move. Don't you want to see your daughter? I was trapped by that question. What could I say? I paused. I knew what I wanted to say, that I always wanted to see my daughter, but I don't think it would be a good idea to spend time together. The pause existed because I was never good at confrontation. I was trying to convince myself to say what I was thinking, but it was like there was a cowardly lawyer arguing against it. Steph repeated, Don't you want to see your daughter? This time with a little bit of disappointment in her voice. Slowly, in a defeated way, I replied, Of course I do. Let's get a cab. As soon as we got into the Blue Star taxi, my high hit 100% and I started to hallucinate. The Barts always delivered quality, but this one seemed to have an extra kick. The brisk freeze that was created from the draft of the driver's window being slightly down created a response where it seemed that every cell of my body was aware. My hallucination was like any other that I'd had before. Normally my experience of LSD was one where the visual side of my senses became dominant in an expanding and creative way, but this time it was my auditory senses that were taking over. Out of nowhere, Paul Simon's song Graceland started playing in my head. When I say song, I really mean two lines of the song. I'm not even sure if they were the correct words, but the ones that popped up were Losing love is like leaving open a window to your heart. Everyone can see the wind blowing. Everyone can see you're lying. Again, I'm not sure if these were the correct words, but in that moment, that's what was playing in my head. Those words would come and go. At times, it was like I was sitting in between two martial amps, and then second later, I was muted sound as if they were coming from outside of the taxi. Like a musician using a loop pedal to get the sound to repeat over and over again, these words were stuck in my head. The place I was in was becoming almost meditative. The high, the repeat words, the place my body was taken to by the cold breeze. I was going somewhere else, somewhere that demanded self-reflection in ways I'd never contemplated before. All of this was driven by those words, losing love is like leaving open a window to your heart. Everyone can see your wind blowing, everyone can see your lying. Time can be experienced in a different way when you're in this state. What feels like hours can actually only be a couple minutes. I don't know how long I was there. I was somewhere else, but eventually I realised that Stephanie was sitting next to me in the taxi. I looked at her and then drifted back to those words. Losing love is like leaving open a window to your heart. Everyone can see your wind blowing. Everyone can see you're lying. 
These lines were having an effect on me. Losing love is like leaving open a window to your heart. Everyone can see your wind blowing. Everyone can see your lying. I was starting to see how being around me cost the people in my life. Everyone can see you lying. I came back to awareness and once again there was Stephanie. What was my cost to her? She was the one who had paid the biggest price. She believed me. Do you know, it's all been a lie. The lawyer had disappeared. What are you talking about? It's been a lie. What's been a lie? Me. What are you talking about, Bevan? For some reason, I felt the best way to show her the truth was to give her an example. Suddenly, I started to tell her one of my lies. One of the lies that I told many times in my life. And it was like an actor I stepped into this state and just suddenly became the person who she would see when I was lying to her. As I told this lie, you could see her start to process and understand what I was doing. I was revealing who I truly was and she was seeing this for the first time. I continued on with my lie and then eventually when it finished I just looked at her and I said, See? Steph looked at me and slowly a tear just came down from the side of her eyes. She took a second and she just said, Bev, I think you should go. I knew she was right. She asked a taxi driver to pull over. She opened the door. I looked at her one more time. I got out the door and she closed the door on me. And in many ways, on that night, I closed the door on myself as well. That's, that's the end of the story. Um, I kind of made up the end there. I haven't actually finished the end of the story. I kind of just made it up on the spot. So it kind of got to where I think I'm going to go with the story. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what you think of that story. Obviously, you know, I can't talk to you about it. But, you know, when I think about the 10 stories in my life, this was a moment in my life where I learned the importance of honesty. Um, and uh, I was a young man who basically was living a lie in so many ways. And um, that interaction with Stephanie was was a really important lesson, A, for her, because she, she got to get rid of an idiot in her life, a really harmful person in her life. But more importantly, well, not more importantly, but importantly for me, it made me realise the importance of fronting up. The importance of fronting up. And in that moment, it was the first time I really fronted up to Stephanie. And, um, you know, I'd done a lot of damage to this, to this woman. And, um, and... If I, if I had to have fronted up earlier, maybe I never would have done that damage. And when I think about that, it's one of the things I find, I suppose maybe, where am I trying to take you with this? I think there is value in making sure you are somebody who fronts up. I think there is value in that. I think there's real value in life when you have to be honest about who you really are, even when you have to reveal the hard stuff the weaknesses, you know, if you know, because why is there value in that? Because I think when you know you have to front up, you make better choices before you make the choices. If you know, if that, does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. You make better choices because what I mean by that is when you know you are somebody who has to be honest to your world, you want to make sure you're making good choices, don't you? Because if you know you can hide something, if you know you can hide aspects of yourself because that way you can almost fool the world into something you're not, well, what's the cost of that? And 
the version of me in that story was somebody who basically hid so much from the world thinking they were getting away with it but actually really just keep taking actions that hurt myself and my world in really damaging ways and ultimately through that experience and there's a couple of other experiences in my life um that that are really really you know kind of that kind of thing of would you do it if you if you've run in your world knew about it you know and, and if you didn't why 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 are you going to do it you know and, and it's just something i've really been thinking about a lot lately you know this whole idea of if you set a standard to yourself that you are going to be real to your world, then ultimately it actually probably leads to you making better decisions in your life. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't hide your faults, hide your weaknesses. Actually, I think it's really important that we're really open about our weaknesses and our faults because then we can work with those around us and, and grow instead of trying to hide them and block them and, and suppress them, which often leads to them becoming a bigger attention in our life. No, but, but what it means is that I'm going to make a priority to make sure I'm honest with my world. I'm going to be honest about who I am and, and what I am. And, and, and by making that priority, it just makes you have that moment where you stop and you think, is this really the right thing for me to be doing? You know, like, uh, I, I, this is meant to be a fitness podcast. I, you know, I often say that, you know, sometimes it's not really that much about fitness. But, you know, fitness is a great example. You know, do you hide how much you eat from people in your life? If you're someone who's struggling with weight, like I know for me of Coke Zero, there was a period where I was drinking, you know, everyone, if you listen to the show for a while, you know Coke Zero is my weakness and um, and I have limits around it so I don't go crazy with it. But there was a period where I was drinking a lot of Coke Zero and I was actually starting to hide it from Joe, Just, you know, just putting a little bit in the garage so she wouldn't know it's there. And, and luckily for me, I was kind of like, well, no, no, I'm not meant to hide stuff from Joe. So you really need to get on top of this. So it was one of those moments. That's what you want to think about is if you have to hide stuff from your world, as little as food because you're eating too much, but even bigger stuff, then what does that open you up to in the way you act in the world? And what's the cost of that in your world? The thing I hid from Stephanie and the people in my life at that time was me. I hid, I hid me and I lied about what I was and who I was and the cost was massive not just to me but to everybody in my world and that's what i want you to think about in today's show is if you were to have a standard in your life where you would be truthful to your world about who you really are what would you change and how would you change decisions before you make them if you put that in place it's an interesting thing to think about and it's one that i think you know it's a really good tool to use in life and, and, and probably the only thing I'm going to say on top of this, and where it's true to you, you know, not, not based on what everyone else thinks you should be, but it was true to you as a person. So my second point in today's show is aim to have, aim to have a, a standard or a process or something like that that allows you to think about if I were to be truthful to my world, what actions would I take? If, if I were to reveal all of myself to the world, what actions would I take? So just think about that. The other thing, so let's just go back to the first point. First point of today's show was this whole idea of create tools, be consistent with them, and then allow yourself to have the benefit of them. And then the second one was this whole idea of being true to you and, and living in a way that, you know, makes you make good decisions now. If you do that, as I always say, you'll be a better version of yourself.
went a bit deep today, didn't I, team? I went a little bit deep on it. Um, yeah, I, 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 that's what I mean. Like, if we go back to that creative stuff I was talking about earlier, like doing this, using the Jeopardy tool to make myself be creative. Like, I'm, that, that, that work that I shared with you there, still got some work to be done on, but I'm, I really enjoyed writing it. And I, I, I love, do you think I love about being creative is that moment afterwards, there's a, because creative is just problem solving, isn't it? You kind of go, okay, I want to express something. I really want to express something. How do I express it? And you try to find ways to express it. And then eventually you kind of hit, oh, yeah, that works. And uh, for me, that's that's kind of really cool. You know, I, I love that moment. And by using this Jeopardy tool, I'm doing more of it in my life. And so, you know, hopefully I've inspired you to think about this stuff today. Um, if you enjoy the show, you get value from it. There's a few things you could do. Go on to whatever podcast catcher you use and put a review on it. It really does make a difference. They do take notice of that. Uh, tell your friends and family. Just say, here's a podcast I really enjoy. You might get some value from it. And uh, if you want to become a patron, just go to bevanjamesisles.com and the Patreon link is all very clear on that page there. I am going to be back in a couple of weeks and fingers crossed I've got this interview sorted out. I'm really excited about this interview. I think it's going to be a real good one. Um, this person was someone who just had a deep, deep level of thinking in, in ways that I, you know, I loved. So hopefully I can bring that to you in the next two weeks from now. Um, you guys have a wonderful couple of weeks and I'll see you real soon. Mm-hmm.